Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Please pray with me. God, you are so good. Thank you so much for this community. Um, please bless us as we continue to grow together, and please be with Todd as he shares his hearts with us. Please help us be able to listen and bless us this week. In your name, amen. All right, if you were uh, here last week, uh, John began his sermon talking about his family and talking about some of the like quirks and like just odd things that his family does. And as I uh, was preparing to preach this morning, I was trying to think of like quirky things in my family. And uh, unfortunately, my family's perfectly normal. Um, <laughs> like we didn't have anything. Uh, so actually in a couple of weeks on Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving, I look forward to seeing you all at Cracker Barrel um, along with us because I know that's what every family does, right? Every family goes to Cracker Barrel. That's where we'll be. Uh, John was sharing just uh, some things about his family as a lead into talking uh, about us gathering together as a Christian family, as we gather together on Sunday mornings or for apprentice groups or as we go out and serve in the community and just talking about how families have values and norms that become a part of the family or a part of the community. And we're spending uh, this month in November uh, just talking about us, um, talking about our family gathered here, our Christian family, our church family that gathers not just on Sunday mornings but throughout the week as well, and what some of the values and uh, intentions that we desire to, to live out and to embody as a gathered community. Last week, uh, we looked at Habakkuk and just talked about this incredibly powerful verse where uh, the prophet is saying, Lord, I've heard of your great fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. And then like this, it's almost haunting at the same time as being like just inspiring. This prayer, Lord, repeat them in our day. For us as we gather on Sunday mornings and even early on for John and Emily as they talked about gathering others together in a community, this desire to see God move in our day just as he did in some of the biblical stories that we read. And it's out of this desire, out of this desire that, that God would move in our day as, as he's moved before, that, uh, that this idea of a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. The renewal of all things. God, move in our day. Um, we stand in awe of your deeds. We want to see them repeated again and again, not just around us, but in and through us as well. And so we're just going to spend uh, this month, the next three weeks, talking about this phrase. What does it mean? As we gather together and worship and as we talk about gathering as a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things, what does that mean? This morning we're going to focus on this idea of community. Sometimes we look at phrases like this and like the shaped by the gospel stands out and even for the renewal of all things really stands out as inspiring. And we can 
glaze over the word community, but the word community is actually incredibly important. In fact, if you go and you look at the biblical narrative from Genesis uh, through Revelation, community is an integral part of the biblical narrative of redemption. Community shows up over and over and over again. In fact, in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, as God's creating the heavens and the earth and creates man, he creates man and says man is good, but looks and says it is not good for man to be alone. From the very beginning, we were created for community. It's where it starts. And we hear this all the time. And maybe sometimes we become overly familiar with that phrase that we were created for community. We're going to kind of unpack why it's so important for us to remember this idea. As I was thinking about it this week, I was, I was thinking about the idea of community and the fact that we were created for community and, and just had this visual in my head that we were created for community. We were created to grow in community the same way seeds are created to grow in soil. And when we remove ourselves from community, our ability to grow, at least, at the very least, is significantly diminished. And yet, as I thought about that, I thought many of us are living alone. Many of us are living alone, even gathered in this room as we're rubbing shoulders with one another. Many of us are living alone even as we go to our workplaces and we interact with the same people day in and day out. And the sad part really is, if we're honest, many of us are living alone even in the context of our own families and our own marriages. If you think about this idea of community and you think about like the shows that we watch on TV or the stories we read or even the songs that we hear, like any form of art that we engage in, one of the reasons why that's so powerful for us is because we're recognizing that others struggle with the same things that we do. And there's this longing for connection that happens because of that. This is why we watch TV shows. I, I can't watch it, but John mentioned it last week, and it's the title of our sermon series this week, uh, the, the show This Is Us. And we watch this show or shows like it and we recognize in the characters that we're watching in the shows ourselves. We watch these shows and we think, oh gosh, other people are struggling with the same things that I'm struggling with. Other people are celebrating the same joys that I desire to celebrate. As this longing for connection, we find connection with these characters. And as I was thinking about this, I was, I was thinking, gosh, what if we made the decision to choose that kind of connection in our everyday, real lives, right? Everybody that we go to work with, everybody that we're gathered in church with, everybody, I mean, even the people in our families are probably watching those same types of shows, longing for that same kind of connection, not finding it anywhere else, and so searching for it within the media, which is fine. But what if we decided, you know what, I want to engage that kind of connection in my everyday real lives, and the things that really matters. The show This Is Us is so powerful because it's the stories all of us are living. It's the stories the people next to you are living. And so as much as you find in common or in connection with the characters on the TV show, those characters are sitting all around us every day. What if we decided to engage that kind of community because that's what we were created for, that longing that we have, that, that connection that we have with TV shows, the reason we're crying 
in front of a screen is because we are created for community. We are created to live with one another. This is why apprentice groups uh, here are so important for us. We sit in rows on Sunday mornings, and in apprentice groups, we gather together and face one another and share the common struggles and the common joys and the wrestling that we have. We were created for community. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, like, it doesn't take long for that community to be broken. And we wonder why we struggle with community. We say we were created for community. And like we might all be in agreement with this, and yet we find community so difficult. We know we were created for community, but so often we refuse it or we're guarded against it. And mostly this is because after the fall, uh, we've leaned toward the side of autonomy. We want to be by ourselves. We want to live alone. We protect ourselves because because of the shame that comes with recognizing our own brokenness. Adam and Eve realized that they were naked and hid, not only from one another, but also from God. Adam and Eve realized they were naked, not just physically, but spiritually as well. If you think about that, like we all know that to be naked physically would make us extremely vulnerable, but deep down we know spiritually we're naked as well. We're broken And we're ashamed, and so we hide due to that pride and shame. And because of this, we must relearn how to be in community. Even though we were created for community, it's come to a place where it's not natural for us. If we carry on the story of redemption, God doesn't leave us in our shame and brokenness. But as we continue to read the biblical narrative, we see that community is the object of God's revelation. It's always into the context of community that God speaks. And it's also a key part of our redemption. If we we are to be who we were created to be, which is what redemption is all about. It's about God restoring things. It's about God renewing things. If we are to be who we were created to be, community must be restored with God and with one another. If God's going to restore us to who we are created to be and we talk about redemption, we've got to recognize that community with him and with others is a key part of that redemption. And so in the Old Testament, God immediately begins engaging in the context of community. The Old Testament is made up of stories that are passed down um, in spoken form. From generation to generation, people would gather together and share the stories of God's great deeds, the way God's moved in the past. God calls a man named Abram, but doesn't leave him just a man, right? says, I will make you into a great nation. And it's through this community of a nation that God intends to bless the entire world. The, the Old Testament was written within the context of community for community and the New Testament as well. When we open the letters that Paul wrote or even the gospel messages, they were intended to be read in the context of community about how we are to live in community. Think about so much of the New Testament and even the Old Testament is talking about not only how to live in relationship with God, but how to live in relationship with one another because In order for us to be who we were created to be, in order for us to be redeemed, community must be restored. And so we see throughout the Bible that community is one of God's tools to change us. And it's in the context of community that that God intends to change the world 
as well. This is why it's important for us to talk about this idea of community. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I'm not sure I have, but I, I did this week just as I was preparing. Think about the idea that the gospel cannot be a lived reality in the absence of community. The gospel cannot be a lived reality in the absence of community. If you think about the idea that we are to be Christ-like, that we are to love one another as Christ loved us, the fulfillment of the gospel only happens in the context of relationship, in the context of us living alongside one another. It's really difficult. I, I couldn't think of a way. I'm always afraid to say like things like impossible because um, people are always like, well, it's not impossible. But I, it probably is. At the very least, it's extremely difficult to live out the example of Jesus in the absence of other people. Really difficult at the very least. Paul writes this incredible letter uh, to the church in Rome. Again, he's writing uh, to a community. Um, and actually, when Paul writes this letter to the Romans, he, he expects that somebody's going to get the letter and is going to gather with people just like we're gathered together here this morning in the context of a church and just read the letter. That's what church looked like a lot of times is, is uh, when these letters would be written, they'd read them together in the context of church. Romans chapter, or Romans 12, or Romans, I'm sorry, Romans is like one of the best of Paul's writings. It's so cool. He lays out for 11 chapters the gospel message, the significance of Christ going to die on the cross for us, that, that we're saved through grace, not through things that we've done. And it, the first 11 chapters just points back over and over and over again to the work of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 12, Paul makes this shift where he talks about, okay, because of all that Jesus did for us, this is how we are to live. And I want to read part of this because I think it speaks to the significance of how the gospel is lived out and works within us. Romans chapter 12. Again, imagine this isn't written just to us individually or to an individual, but it was written to a church. It was written to the church. And as we read this together, we're to hear it in the context of that. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, community, right there, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that I've written about in the first 11 chapters, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect will. And then he moves to this like second thing. So he's talking about this transformation that happens within us. Right? In 11 chapters, talking about what Jesus did, talks about the transformation that happens within us. And then immediately after that, writes this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul immediately 
shifts from the things that Jesus has done for us almost immediately to how this is lived out within the context of community by each one of us. And in fact, the rest of Romans is Paul writing about how we apply the truth of Jesus Christ and the redemption that he offers us within the context of the community of the church and then the broader, the broader context of the community surrounding the church. And so it should strike us as odd when we gather together and we talk about our personal faith in Jesus Christ as if it's in an individual sort of thing, as if our redemption is meant just for us, as if redemption isn't also the redemption of the community that we share with one another. Our faith, when it takes on an individualistic slant, is to deny part of the redemption that Jesus offers each one of us. And so as we gather together, it, the question is, what is our response to this? How do, how do we respond? Uh, the first thing I would say is that community is a choice. Uh, community is not forced upon us. In fact, we can choose uh, to walk away from community. And sometimes this happens within the church. Right? Even as we show up on Sunday morning, sometimes we show up with an attitude that, that church is a product to be consumed. Right? That we're, we're coming here in order that Jesus might fill up just me. Um, that, that, that church is a product to be consumed. That, that is actually what we're doing is designed for an individual consumer because we're so used to that in the culture around us. Or that in, so, in some way, church is like a service that's rendered by the church staff, right? That church isn't a gathering of a community. Or we view church as a building. Even in our language, this shows up. But for us, as we gather together, we want to unlearn these old patterns of individualism. And we want to, de to develop an imagination of usness as the people of God. I love that. I want to develop an imagination of usness as the people of God. The individualism that we've lived with is destructive, and it hasn't served us well. If you've been living life kind of in a privatized, like really personal, guarded sort of way, I would challenge you to ask yourself, how, how is this working for me? Because for most of us, the individualism doesn't serve us well. And yet, the narrative of individualism is so ingrained, we don't even recognize when we're living in it or the consequences of it. We've become overly familiar with this rugged individualism that is so much a part of our culture. And at best, much of the time we can't imagine that there might be something better. Right? And at worst, we're suspicious of the idea that there is. So we live fearfully and guarded. And I would say this is why I think that statement that we might have a holy imagination is so important. We just don't have great examples of community uh, within the culture around us. So what does it look like for us to live with this holy imagination, to imagine that God might move within us, gathered together as a community in ways that he has in the past? When I show up to church, um, I show up with the desire to be fulfilled and renewed. For sure, that's a part of gathering together on Sunday mornings. But another part of it is that I'm responsible for coming and offering renewal and fulfillment to you as well. Renewal and fulfillment is something that we experience together. 
And you may not know this, but your showing up on Sunday morning is an encouragement to the people around you. I think oftentimes we look around and we see others, as Nina was talking about, what a joy it is to see other people. And, and maybe you have that experience as well. But there's another side of that. Like if you're experiencing the encouragement and the joy of the people around you, it's important for us to recognize that the people around us are experiencing encouragement and joy because of our presence as well. And so I would just encourage you, this imagination of usness is saying, gosh, it's not John's and my responsibility to come and to preach and live out the gospel. That's our responsibility. We do that together. And so even in the language that we use about our gathering on Sunday mornings is, is important. So some people may come and say, you know, I, I really like how Cornerstone is investing in prayer. Right? Or I like how Cornerstone has different people come up and read scriptures on Sunday mornings. Our hope is that we would shift that language. We would start saying, I really like how we are invested in prayer. And you see how that shifts from a them and us sort of thing to, to we are gathered together, doing this together. We together are invested in prayer. I like how we have different people within the congregation read scripture and serve communion. It's the reason why we have the lights up on Sunday mornings. Uh, It's the reason why John steps away from the microphone, right? So we get to hear one another singing. It's not just the worship leader at the front. It's why apprentice groups are so important. It's that decision, that choice. As hard as it is, I'm going to choose to be in community. And, And that's just it, is community not only is a choice, but it takes effort as well. Uh, you know, social media has become such a significant part of our culture. I think about, like, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and it's hard to not get on those things and become envious of the lives other people are living. And we, we talk about that. We talk about how hard it is and that everybody on Facebook and social media is putting forward their best lives, right? This is like them at their best for the most part. I was thinking about this and thinking, gosh, Maybe far too often, church is really just Facebook in person. I mean, like it's, it's Facebook like in person. Like we all walk in the doors prepared to put on our best selves on Sunday morning. And, and I don't know, I, I mean, I don't know that this has ever happened for us, but I could imagine it happening that as crazy as Sunday morning is, especially if you've got like three boys There's, like, you pull up into the church parking lot. It's been chaos. You've been yelling at one another. The kid has milk all down their front. Um, Maybe there's been spit up on you. And you just sit in the church parking lot, and you think, okay, we've got to get it together before we walk in, right? And then we walk in, and it looks like everybody's put together. This morning's been just a breeze. Life's not hard. We've got it all together. This is what we do. Community takes effort. What does it look like to allow ourselves to be really known? To walk in with the milk across the front. To walk in with that look of stress or anger or whatever it is because the morning has just been chaotic because this is us, right? All of us are living that same life. What does it look like for us to choose to be vulnerable enough to allow ourselves to be known as we really are? Uh, John Tyson wrote this book called uh, Creative Minority. It's like a super short book, but it's so cool. 
And in the book, he, he has this quote that I underlined and like underlined and underlined. When I went back to it this week, it just jumped out to me. And in it, he writes this. If there is no interpersonal conflict in your life, no elements of your character that you are being confronted about, you are networking. You are not in close community. I'm going to read it again. And I want you to think not just about us gathered on Sunday morning, but I want you to think about in the context of your friendships. And this might be even a little more like piercing. I want you to think about it in the context of your family and maybe even of your marriage. If there is no interpersonal conflict in your life, no elements of your character that you are being confronted about, you are networking. You are not in close community. What's that look like for us gathered together here on Sunday mornings? Are are we being challenged? Are we being confronted? Are we allowing ourselves to be vulnerable? And in your families and even in your marriages, a form of Christian community, are you being vulnerable enough that those weaknesses, that the brokenness are rising to the surface? And that you've got somebody there to cheer you on. What are the first steps of vulnerability look like? I think it's just coming up with phrases that maybe we've been too guarded to share. Phrases like, I'm scared, or I'm sad, or I'm proud, or I'm disappointed, or I'm sorry. These are like forms of vulnerability. And the thing is, is you're surrounded by people that are just as sad, that are just as proud, that are just as disappointed, that are just as scared, that are just as anxious. Bonhoeffer, uh, in his book Life Together, wrote this. I think some of us maybe sometimes are too afraid to participate in Christian community because we think we've got to like work at it or create Christian community. And even as we're gathering together and we're saying we want to be a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things, Community is not something that we necessarily have to work towards or build. Bonhoeffer writes this. Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality already created by God in Christ in which we just choose to participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our community is in Jesus Christ alone, the more calmly we will learn to think about our community and pray and hope for it. This is why we keep going back to John chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus tells his disciples, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And John goes on to write in his, uh, in his letter, in 1 John chapter 4, he writes this, and it may be on the screen here. This is how we know we live in him and he in us. If we say that's our desire, how do we know we're actually doing it? John's going to tell us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And so, 
We are generous with one another. We approach one another the same way as the one who invites us. Just as we are broken, naked, vulnerable, into community with him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, that you created us for community. And Father, in the absence of that, in our isolationism, in our shame, Father, because of our pride, God, your desire is to restore and redeem the community that you have with us through your son, Jesus Christ, but also the community that we have with one another, also through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we move to a time of communion, God, I pray that you would help us approach this table as we are, naked, broken, vulnerable. God, to know that you invite us as we are. And because you invite us, God, just as we are, God, we can invite others just as they are as well. Amen.